Well, welcome to the Hills, and a shout out to all of you watching online around the world. We're at a church in Tarrant County with three campuses, South Lake, North Richmond Hills, and a new West Fort Worth campus. And I happened to preach there live last week for our opening. Uh, the last Sunday of their old facility had about 700 in attendance. The first weekend in their new facility had just under 1,400 people present. It was amazing. In fact, I've got some footage I want to show you. The thing that I love the most about the day was the volunteer culture. Uh, people were there when you drove onto the parking lot helping you park. They were there at the sidewalks helping you enter. They were there at the front door. They were there to help you check in your children. They were there to help you find a seat. They were just all over the place. Every third person had on a Blue Hill shirt helping people, and they were having so much fun. I was just reminded there's such joy in being a blessing to people. And then that night, I came to North Hills campus for the Christmas children's musical. It was amazing. And again, I just saw a sea of people that just invest in our children and have so much fun doing so. On Saturday morning, I went to South Lake campus. They had breakfast with Santa, and the place was packed with people from the community. And there were scores of people from South Lake campus serving of all ages and having fun. And I was just reminded again, do you want to have fun at church? Well, then walk to your car, not just thinking about what you got at church, but what you brought to church. Because you're going to have fun at church when you can walk to your car saying, because I came today, somebody else got a blessing. Now, you want to be a blessing? You want to have that feeling? Bring someone to Christmas Eve services. This is the easiest ask of the year. Everybody loves a candlelight service. And we're going to do it right, and they're going to hear the gospel. I hope you'll bring a friend and join us either Christmas Eve Eve or Christmas Eve. I love Christmas. It's such a wonderful time to share good news with people. I do an Advent series every year. What we're doing this year is we're talking about the things that we can learn from your nativity scene. Now, what I love about nativity scenes is that across the world, there is such creative diversity. You can typically tell where a nativity is from by looking at the animals, the plants, the clothing of the characters, the skin tone, because there is this wonderful diversity. The Christmas story is so big, it can embrace all the cultures. In fact, I saw one of my favorites just recently. Look at this picture. This is a millennial nativity scene. You've got the shepherd looking at his iPad in front of the organic cow and the gluten-free trough. You've got Mary and Joseph taking a, stable in the, uh, taking a selfie in the stable with your solar panels. And your three wise men are on their segways with their tight jeans rolled up, their shades, and their Amazon boxes because they ordered their gifts online. I love that. And you find this kind of diversity in nativity scenes. But also, you find this amazing conformity. Because in every nativity, you're typically going to have the same major characters. You're going to have baby Jesus with Mary and Joseph. You're going to have wise men. You're going to have shepherds. You're often going to have an angel. But what I'm suggesting in this series is that there's some important pieces to the story that needed to be added to the nativity scene. Some extras. So last week, we talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth. How they inspire us to summon extra faith when we need it. What I want to do today is talk about a person who's always in the nativity scene, but he's treated like an extra. I'm talking 
by Joseph. We never quite know where to put Joseph. Now, here's the thing about Joseph. We need him. Because Joseph is a descendant of King David. We need Joseph because Joseph gives Jesus legal status as a candidate for Messiahship. But we don't want to put Joseph too close, not as close as Mary, because we don't want to imply that he's the biological father. So we kind of put Joseph to the side a little bit and treat him like an extra. Well, today we're going to give some extra attention to Joseph. Because I think Joseph is going to help us with an extra understanding of what real righteousness is. Let's start our story, Matthew 1. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, let's back up the story a couple of weeks before the conversation that rocked his world. It was the best of times for Joseph. He is engaged to marry the love of his life, the young girl that he has known since they were kids playing in the dirt streets of Nazareth. He is enjoying tremendous goodwill in their little village. So much so, he's been able to build up a carpentry business to the point that he can go to Mary's father and say, I am now able to support a wife and a family. Everybody knew Joseph was a righteous man. He's the kind of man every dad wants his little girl to meet someday. But when we call Joseph a righteous man, It means more than just that he was a pious, moral, good old boy. You see, we use righteous as an adjective. But in Matthew's day, righteous man was actually a title. There was in Matthew's day a group of men. They were referred to as sadiq. It's a hard word to pronounce. It's a Hebrew word, sadiq. I won't ask you to say it because you'd have to spit on the person in front of you. But a tzaddik was someone who was absolutely devoted to the law of Moses. The first five books of the Bible was the law of Moses. They called it the Torah. And a tzaddik was a person who wanted to study Torah, to learn Torah, and to obey Torah scrupulously. Joseph was Sadiq. And here's what that means. It meant he never ate an unclean food. He never entered the house of a Gentile or touched a leper or a dead body. Because of one verse in Leviticus 19, he never shaved his beard. Because of one verse in Numbers 15, he never walked outside without clothes that had tassels on them to remind him of the law of God. 
And even though he was eager to marry Mary and build up some income to afford a family, he never considered opening his carpenter shop even for a couple of hours on a Sabbath to make some extra coin. And he never came close to compromising himself sexually. You need to remember in the Christmas story, there wasn't just one virgin. There was two. Joseph is a righteous man. And he never imagined that the picture of the future he had imagined all his life could be totally blown up by one brief, shocking conversation with his fiancée. See, the first thing Joseph teaches us is that doing right doesn't mean that life always goes right. Joseph has done life right. And his life has gone terribly wrong. Last week we said that sad things happen to good people. You know what? Bad things happen to good people too. Now I'm not suggesting it doesn't matter how you live. In fact, I would suggest that many bad things in life you can avoid if you live right. As a minister, I will tell you that most of the hardship and pain I see in people's lives is self-inflicted because they made such poor choices. But I don't care how right you live, sometimes life will do you wrong. Nothing should remind us of that more than the Christmas story. You ever thought that the actual Christmas story would make a terrible Hallmark Christmas movie? It's really a very scary, sad story. It's full of oppression and violence and fear and treachery. And that's where Joseph is. He's done life right. And it looks like everything's going to turn out wrong. Because Joseph knows what he must do. He's a righteous man. It doesn't matter how much he loves Mary. He must put God first. And here's what that means according to Torah. You've got to publicly disgrace Mary. You've got to call out the sin in the camp. You've got to protect your honor. And Joseph doesn't want to do that. He's wrestling long before he hears a word from God with what some would call an unrighteous decision. Uh, the actual text says, being a righteous man. I hate to go Greek on you, but that word being is a circumstantial participle. There's many ways to translate it. And one way, most of your Bibles say, because he was a righteous man, he decided to divorce her quietly. That actually didn't make sense. Because if that was the thinking, because he was a righteous man, he exposed Mary's sin and shamed her. No. There's a better way to translate that word, just as legitimate, although. Although he was a righteous man, he decided to put 
Mary away in a way that would not publicly disgrace her. And isn't it interesting that he's wrestling with this before he gets a word from God? Why didn't God just send an angel as soon as Mary said, I'm pregnant, and the angel shows up and says, okay, Joseph, you don't even have time to think about what you're going to do. Here's what you're going to do. No. God lets Joseph wrestle with what he's going to do. To live with the anxiety and the tension. And is it possible that God let Joseph battle the disequilibrium in his heart because God is going to prepare Joseph to understand righteousness in a completely new way. And so the text says, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Don't read that too fast. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Joseph will never be considered a Sadiq again. In the eyes of the community, what Joseph did made him a less righteous man. But I think in the eyes of heaven, Joseph proved himself to be more righteous. And I want to go deep with you today. This is very important what we're talking about. What does the Christmas story teach us about what it means to be righteous in the eyes of God? And here's one thing we learn. That real righteousness obeys God when it costs. Now we've all been to children's Christmas pageants where everyone puts on a bathrobe and acts out the story of the birth of Jesus and you know sometimes those pageants can get off script I heard about one where little Joseph forgot his lines he goes to the innkeeper could we have a room the innkeeper says no the inn is full and Joseph forgot what to say next so he said I really need a room my wife is pregnant so the innkeeper said well that's not my fault little Joseph said well it's not my fault either In another play, the innkeeper goes off script. Joseph says, I need a room. The innkeeper said, sure, just come on in. And little Joseph has to think fast and says, there's no way I'm going to let my wife stay in a dump like this. Come on, Mary, let's go to the barn. (laughs) And both of those little plays make very powerful points. Joseph was not responsible for the pregnancy. But Joseph owned responsibility for the mother and her child and no doubt many told him he was being irresponsible Joseph do you know what it is going to cost you it cost him his reputation as a righteous man 
It cost him goodwill in the community. It no doubt cost him business from former customers. He sacrificed the right to have sex with the woman God told him to marry until after her baby was born. He gave up the privilege every Jewish man cherished to name the first son after yourself. Joseph lost his life for Jesus. And in a sense, Joseph became the first disciple of Jesus. Because years later, here's what Jesus would say about discipleship. If people want to follow me, they must give up the things they want. They must be willing even to give up their lives to follow me. You see, there's no such thing as Teflon obedience. If you obey God, some stuff is going to stick to you. And it's going to cost. It cost Joseph the future he had planned But it gave Joseph a future in God's plan. And he just kept stepping into that future with faithful obedience. Not one time, four times. An angel appears to Joseph. And every time, he immediately does what God wants, no matter what it costs. And by the way, there's no indication that in his lifetime, he was ever vindicated. Think about that. Sometime as Jesus was growing up, Joseph died. Nobody ever came up to Joseph and said, oh, I understand now. I see what God is doing now. It all makes sense now. Joseph, I get it. You did the right thing. And by the way, there's no record that Joseph ever tried to vindicate himself. In fact, there's... No record of Joseph ever speaking. His life was his sermon because truly righteous people talk by the way they walk. Especially by the way they walk with others. Because here's the other thing that Joseph teaches us about righteousness. It obeys when it costs and it loves people when it's hard. Remember this. Joseph made the hard decision to show mercy to Mary before he ever got a word from God. Everybody told him the right thing to do is disgrace her and protect your own reputation. And somehow, that didn't feel right to Joseph it felt wrong he wasn't diminishing the importance of obeying God's law but he somehow intuitively sensed what is the purpose of God's law it's to teach us to love God and to love our neighbor and loving People is hard. Have you noticed that? Because people are not always very righteous. 
And so Joseph is wrestling. I want to be a righteous man. But people aren't always very righteous. How do I do this? How do I be a man full of truth and full of grace? Like father, like son. You ever noticed how many times in the Gospels Jesus shows grace to women caught in scandal? He talks to a woman at a well who's been divorced five times and is living with a dude. And in that world, the definition of righteousness was tell her she's a tramp and to get away from you. And instead, Jesus says, can I have some water? And she's the first person on earth to hear him declare his Messiahship. He's at a party, and a woman from the street comes in, crying, wanting to wash his feet. And when I say from the street, I don't mean that's where she lived. I mean that's where she worked. You know exactly what I mean. And everybody at the party thought, now, if he was a righteous man, he would say, get your hands off me. Go back to the mud where you came from. And instead... Jesus said, woman, your sins are forgiven. And they brought a woman caught committing adultery and threw her at the feet of Jesus and said, what should we do? What are you going to do? Jesus said, well, I'm not going to condemn her. And you shouldn't either. Woman, go and sin no more. Think about it. He's not denying that we should live the way God wants. But he's constantly speaking to people with a past and offering them a future. Is it possible that that's the kind of righteousness young Jesus saw in his own home? Every time he looked at the way his daddy treated his mother. It's a kind of extra righteousness. That can only be birthed because Jesus was birthed. You see, get this. Every religion has a righteous plan. Every religion has a here's how to get right with God plan. And every other religion has a plan that focuses on merit, not on mercy. It reminds me of one of my all-time favorite Christmas illustrations. There was a woman, she's older, to the point where traveling and even getting out shopping was hard for her. She thought, this year, I'm just going to send all my loved ones some money, and they can just buy whatever they want. So she got some money from the bank, put it in stacks for each relative. She got the envelopes and addressed them, put the postage on, put everything in the mail. She realized she forgot to put the money inside the card. 
So on Christmas Day, all her loved ones opened this card. Buy your own present, Grandma. (laughs) And that's what religion says. Make yourself righteous. Clean yourself up. Get your act together. When are you going to start figuring things out? When are you going to get it right? But the Christmas story is built on this core truth that our trying to be good is never going to be good enough. And Joseph was one of the first to realize this. I think what totally changed his understanding of righteousness was one word from the angel. She'll give birth to a son. And you will name him Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. This is how people are going to be righteous, Joseph. I had a dear friend. Some years back, was trying to finish a graduate degree in theology at a seminary. He had his oral exams in front of a table full of academics. And he was asked a question by one. What is necessary for salvation? And he couldn't help but think, what a big question. He thought of all the verses in his mind. He knew that talked about salvation. Verses about confession or repentance or faith or baptism. And he talked and he talked and he talked. And he tried to throw all those verses in there. And when he was finally through, the professor leaned forward and said, One thing is necessary for salvation. God. God is the reason anyone can be saved. Look at this verse. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You sang it a moment ago. He became sin. Who knew no sin? That we might become his righteousness. See, Christmas reminds us Jesus is our true righteousness. I'm not dismissing the importance of trying to obey God. I'm not dismissing the importance of trying to live right. But when it's all said and done, we're trusting Jesus for righteousness. Us for God can save nobody. God for us can save anybody. And nobody Understood that better than Joseph. So, what are we going to do with this lesson? And what's the point of coming and hearing the word of God if we're not going to try to apply it? So maybe God brought you here today to say, I know that area of your life where you're afraid to obey me. Be courageous. Maybe God brought you here today to say to you, life has been hard and you've been done wrong. Keep doing the right thing. And maybe, (laughs) probably, God brought us all here to say, there's somebody in your life 
who has been very hard for you to love. But you need to love them the way I've loved you. Because that's what righteousness looks like. Those of you about my age will remember a name of a man named Jim Baker. In the 1980s, he was one of America's most famous televangelists of a popular show called The Jim and Tammy Show on Christian television. He became very famous. He became very rich. And then he got caught up in scandal, sexual scandal and financial scandal. And Jim Baker spent almost five years in federal prison. He talks about one of his lowest moments. He's very sick, battling pneumonia. But that doesn't exempt him from doing his job. And his job every day for five years was to clean toilets. He put on his worst clothes. His tennis shoes that had holes in the toes. And he's cleaning toilets. He feels bad. He looks bad. He smells bad. And a guard yells, Baker, they never call your first name in prison. Baker, you need to go to the warden's office. And all he could think is, oh no, I'm in trouble. What have I done? Why? You have a visitor. But it's not visiting day. So as he walks to the warden's office, he asks, who's come to see me? Bill Graham. Who's just been voted one of the three most respected men in the world. And there's Jim Baker who looks terrible, who feels terrible, who smells terrible. Who walks passively inside a door. Billy Graham walks over to him. Puts his arms around him. He says, Jim, I love you. It had been a long time since Jim Baker had heard that. He experienced a new kind of righteousness. Here's the thing. All we can do is love people. Only Jesus can make anybody righteous. So, I think I'm going to change it up a little bit. I think Joseph belongs right here. I'm sure most of his life people told him he did wrong. But I think every time he looked at his son, he knew I did right. I found a new way to be righteous. I found Jesus. And I hope this Christmas, you do too. So let me pray over you. So God, I know we need this lesson. Maybe not all in the same way, but we all need it. Some of us need more courage. Some of us need more obedience. Some of us need to love 
a little better. And all of us need to receive the righteousness of Christ. So Holy Spirit, speak to every heart. Don't allow a single person to walk to their car today without at some deep level experiencing your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.